When I was studying at the seminary, I took a class on the Pentateuch from Dr. Richard Davidson, who started the course in a way that I've never seen before. It was a little bit shocking. Is that he told us his mission for this course was to somehow unlock in our minds the memory of our own personal excursion in the Exodus. I remember a lot of things. I got memories of when I was two years old, but I wasn't walking through the desert in that memory. So I'm not sure how that was supposed to work. I'm not exactly sure if he found his way to succeeding in that mission, but what he did do was give us an understanding of how humanity and how God are intertwined in such a way that you'd be hard-pressed not to believe that if you tried hard enough, you just might be able to push yourself all the way back through your heritage to a time in which your ancestors with you in tow were a part of the Exodus, which is why this section is so exciting. It's exciting to be able to walk through it with all of you, to walk through this time in these chapters I'm going to spend most of my time in chapter 14, and I'll leave chapter 15 for you to read and sing along with if you're feeling up to it, because chapter 15 is mostly a song. But in this chapter 13 and chapter 14, we go back in time to a place where we understand how the books of the Bible are being put together in a way that help us grow in this understanding that humanity and God are tied together intricately. You can see it in each and every book. It's done in different ways, but it's always the same message, that God and humanity are tied together. In the book of Genesis, we understand that humanity is created in the image of God. In the book of Exodus, we understand that God redeems humanity from bondage. In the book of Leviticus, we understand that humanity is built to worship God. We are learn in the book of Numbers that humanity and their pilgrimage toward the promised land is done so with the guidance of God. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we understand that humanity experiences a covenant renewal with that God. And so I'm going to follow the same thing today. As we go through this section, I'm going to take humanity and God, and I'm going to split them up. And we're going to start by talking about humanity back then, and then we're going to talk about humanity today. And then we're going to flip it over, and we're going to talk about God then, and we're going to talk about God today. And the goal in doing so is that we're going to talk about humanity first in hopes that we can follow with what Dr. Davidson said, and we can somehow find ourselves in that story. And if you can find yourself in the story, then maybe, just maybe, we can get to a place where you can see God clearly from your position in the story, both then and now. But the reality is this. This story of Exodus, this is God's story. This is not really our story. This is God's story told through us and with us, but it is God's story that's being told despite all of the work that we've put in to somehow make it about ourselves. This story is still God's story. And so before we begin, I want to pray with you all. God, we 
want to see you today so clearly. God, help us to know that you see us clearly and help us to be reminded of all of these things, even when nothing seems clear all around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do what Dr. Davidson did to me and scramble your brains a little bit. I'm going to ask you to flash back your memories all the way back to Exodus 13. We've all got those memories, right? So crazy back then. I want you to flash forward into chapter 13. If you've got scripture open in front of you, you can keep it open and you can read through. We're going we're gonna to hit some pieces along the way. But Exodus 13, man, we are finally free We are no longer slaves, and it is going so well. There's this cloud that somehow is keeping us out of the sun throughout the day, and then there's this pillar of fire that keeps us so that we know our bearings because we're hiking through the night because we're getting out of whatever that was, and we're never going back there again, and this light seems to be guiding us there. There's enough food still. There's enough water. Our morale is super high, and we know that God is truly with us. And then comes that pesky chapter break between chapter 13 and chapter 14, where all of a sudden the flight plan has changed. I don't know if you've been on that flight before where you think you're getting close and you're looking at your watch and you're thinking we should have been there by now. And I could have sworn I've already seen that section. Are we circling the airport? This is not good. And then we land in a place that I'm not sure our plane was supposed to be. And now we find ourselves in this really bad spot. Scripture says that they find themselves at a a spot in in Hebrew. I would probably slaughter it. I was good in Pentateuch. I wasn't good in Hebrew. But the, the description of this place breaks down to the mouth of the gorges, which means there's this section where all of a sudden things are going to stop becoming mountainous and they're going to open up into desert. And so I want you to picture something directly in front of all of us. There's this funnel of sorts and we're right here. And as it funnels out, we've got the sea to our left. We've got complete desert in front of us. And then there's these mountains to our right, and behind us is Egypt. So we're in this weird pinch point, if you would take it into today. And then as we look up at the mountains, again, the sea is over here, the mountains are over here. We're looking up to the mountains. There's this fortress called Migdal, and it's just this castle. And if anybody was in it and they were looking down at us, we'd be sitting ducks. And so it's an uncomfortable place to stay. It feels cramped, it feels tight, and it feels fatal. And we have that term today where these pinch points where somebody would wait for you and you would be stuck here and you would just funnel yourself closer to the middle and there would just be your enemies right here waiting for you. And everybody from up top will be herding you into this fatal funnel. It's not a good place to be because to go back would be to go towards... Egypt and go to our left would be to die and drown and trying to climb the mountain would do us no good because they would just pick us off from where we are. So we're uncomfortable and it's not a good spot 
to stay. And unfortunately, not only is it not where we want to be and not where we want to be found, we're being told to stay there by God. We can't retreat from this point. We're stuck in this position. God simply says, your goal is to wait silently here. The reason why this is scary is because our travel itinerary has taken us in a pretty bad position. So if, if we had a map, I could put it up, you know, somewhere over the top of me and you could take a look at it. But I'm just going to be honest with everybody. The book of Exodus and history and topography, not everything agrees because things have shifted, things have moved. This lake may have been over here, but it may have been over here and the Red Sea is here. And then there are these two little inlets and these lakes that maybe they passed, but maybe it was further north. I'm not sure I know the answer. So rather than provide you a map and say, look, it happened right here, I'm just going to do something very simple. And I'm going to say, this is Egypt. And then I'm going to extend this other hand to explain distance. Simply because if we get bogged down with the details of what happened and where and precisely what, it's going to get messy. So to focus more on the story, to focus on humanity, allow me this very simple presentation. This is Egypt. And for one full day, the Israelites left Egypt. Day came and went, and that pillar of fire showed up, and they kept walking. So this was 24 hours worth of distance away from Egypt. Day two comes around, and they're still walking. And so they go double the distance. And so now they're this far away from Egypt. But then something happens, and they're told to turn back, and they spend a third day walking, a full 24 hours, which takes them back here which is three days worth of tired feet, but only one day's distance total away from Egypt. And so stuck in a pinch point where they're not protected, only a day's walk away from Egypt, this is not a good place because the Israelites are starting to do the math. And if it took them this far and this long to walk, how long before the chariots get here? And you can imagine that. Imagine starting a foot race and we all start on the same line and those who are walking get a day's head start. And you think, man, a day's head start. That's crazy. Until you think about what is racing them. And in this case, it's chariots. Scripture tells us in numbers that there were 600 of Pharaoh's chariots. And that's not even all the chariots. Those are the good chariots, the fast chariots. Think of them as Ferraris. So an entire people get on a starting line and walk to a place they can't hide in the worst spot imaginable to defend yourself. And they're being chased down by 600 Ferraris who are coming up quick. And so this isn't a good spot to be. This isn't a good spot to stay. This isn't a good spot to be found. And yet here they are. And so the Ferraris are hot on their tails. They're playing this game of hide and seek. And they've been told to wait silently in a spot that won't allow them to run for cover if they're found, which is moot. Because if they ever get up to that castle, we're done for. And if we try and run, they're faster than we are. And unfortunately for the Israelites, for us, then... 
This is all going to feel familiar once those chariots catch up. And all of a sudden, those feelings of being locked down and death being imminent and surrounding all of us and feeling as though there's no escape. We're dead tired all over again. And we're still afraid. And going through grief looks the same then as it does now. And there are five stages of it. And it always starts with denial. It always starts with this belief of, no, wait, God took us out of there. God was with us when we got into this whole thing. So God will take us out of this. There's no way we're going to get caught. This will be fine. But I can hear those motors coming. The distinct sound of horses. And then the anger sets in and you think to yourself, you know, was, was it not good enough to die in a place at least I found familiar where there's suddenly no graves for us to be buried in? We had to walk ourselves all the way out to the worst place imaginable to die in the desert, to be shredded upon the rocks of the mountains, to be aimed down upon by the weapons or to drown in the sea. <laughs> And it just makes us angry to think that this is what we're meant to do. This is what we're going to be, that this will be our story. And so we start to bargain, thinking that maybe if we cut up our robes, we can wave a white flag. And maybe when they get here and they're going to get here, <laughs> maybe they'll take us back. Maybe we can go back to just being slaves it wasn't that bad. It's not as bad as this. I was afraid, but I wasn't this afraid because I had hope and I lost it. And this is way worse. And when the bargaining doesn't work, then the depression sets in. And now the silence creeps in. Until slowly, the Israelites just start to accept their fate. And it's then that Moses speaks. And Moses says to us, to the people, wait, wait. Something good is just about to happen. And there's a difference. You think it feels the same, but there's a difference between right now and the way it was back then. The question is, do you see it? So if that was tough for you to, to step into your shoes that you used to wear back when you were fleeing from Egypt, let's put you back in your own shoes right now. Let's take humanity then, we'll transfer to humanity now. And we'll talk about a date that may stick out for some of you. Let's talk about April 21st, 2020. Just a little while ago. I want you to flash back to a time where that quarantine that we were all stuck under was suddenly lifted. Instead of being... Safe at home, we were safer at home. And it gave us the option to go out, and things started to change. I don't know if you remember this, but it was really good to find out that parks were suddenly open, that restaurants were open for business, that toilet paper was back on the shelves. We had finally flattened the curve, and we knew it because the NBA was back. And because of that, we knew that God was with us. Morale was getting high, and things were going to be okay. And then... Well, and then July 4th started to come around. And that was when the news started telling us that cases were increasing. And those bars that we were excited about opening up, they were closing again. Now, all of a sudden, 
masks are mandated. And it was weird because I don't know if you were like me, but I started to ask questions like, didn't we just go through this? Schools were about to open up again. I heard that I was going to be taken off a of furlough. We waited for months. And when we got out, we somehow found a way to walk backwards through the progress we had made. We were still exhausted, still tired, as though we had gone so far, and yet somehow we were found ourselves back in a place that wasn't familiar that we didn't want to be with in the first place. And somehow now the virus is stronger and it seemed to be waiting for us. And now we're playing hide and seek again. Only the virus isn't seeking by the rules. Somehow it seems to be waiting silently in all of our favorite hiding places. And it seems like in only a moment... This whole thing's gonna start feeling familiar once COVID catches us. When we're trapped behind a mask, our hospitals are full again, our nurses are exhausted, people are fed up, there seems to be no escape, the claustrophobia sets in, we're tired of this quarantine. And then that familiar feeling of fear, which causes us grief. And it starts with denial. No, there's, there's no way. We flattened the curve. We, we finished it. The quarantine was up, and that means the disease is gone, and we killed the virus. So it can't. It just can't. And somehow when it does, when all of a sudden this time around you know somebody with coronavirus, and then they pass it to someone else you know, and we're playing one degree of separation with tragedy, the anger sets in because we beat it and it killed enough, it took enough. There should be some discrimination. We, we, we did what we could the first time around. Can't you cut us a break this time? Because I don't understand how things can get worse when we work so hard to make them better. And that anger turns into bargaining and you think to yourself, maybe, just maybe if we give in, we can fit this herd mentality and maybe then we'll all be okay. Maybe we can just pretend like it'll be okay. Maybe we can just pretend like we won't get it. Maybe we can hope for a cure. Then we could go back to what we want to be doing and the ways that we want to be doing them. And I'll trade anything to make that happen. Just name the price. When it doesn't work, then the depression sits in. And it gets dark and lonely. And we sit silently as we're affected again until we accept it. That's a horrifying place to be and not something that we wanted to be a part of again. And yet somehow in that moment, there's this still small voice. When it speaks, it says, wait, just wait. Something good is about to happen. And there is a difference between then and now. The only question is, do you see it? I think for God, when God flashes back and 
I'm going to do my best to speak on behalf of God, but please recognize I am not God. I do not believe that I am God. But when I think about what God was doing back in Exodus 13, as I read through scripture, Moses is a mouthpiece for God. So we can start to understand how God speaks through other people so we can understand God a little bit better. And so when we flash back to Exodus 13, stepping away from the humanity and moving into our understanding of God, then in Exodus 13, think about it. God must be incredibly happy with the way things are going because finally my people are starting to act like sons and daughters of a king instead of a slave. And they walk in the light and they are shrouded in my spirit. They are protected as they rely on me for absolutely everything. And my name is the only thing being lifted on high instead of prayers for leaving. It's prayers of joy. And I'm with my people. And I can say clearly that it is good. But there's something that happened in this chapter break between Exodus 13 and Exodus 14. Something's changed. The flight pattern has moved. And, and now my people are starting to think to themselves, if we continue forward, we can get further away from Pharaoh. And they've stopped thinking about it as getting closer to me. They're free, and yet somehow they're still thinking like slaves. They're telling this story as if they're the ones that beat Pharaoh. They're doing it as though they passed over the door and not me. If something good is going to happen here and something good will happen here, they need to see it. And apparently they need to see it firsthand this time. And so I'm turning them around. They don't see it. Not yet. And so in this moment, trapped in this funnel, left on their own, left to their own devices, their own cunning, their own strategy, their own genius, in a place where there's no way they can get out because they're in a position where to go forward is to go out into the desert of nothing. To go back is to be ambushed and to return to slavery. To go up is to be attacked by all the things that are coming for them. And there's no reason for them to go up when they can stay where they are and they can't go left because it's water and I made them to walk above the earth and not under the sea and so trapped in an impossible scenario left to their own I will show them who I am and I'm going to use this same power that separated the earth from the waters once before. I'm gonna use the same wind that blew over the surface of the earth as I was creating it. And I'm gonna use the same dirt that brought up man into form. I'm just gonna use them differently. Because when I use it this time, like I used it then, I'm gonna show them the same way that takes them right back to me in a way that leaves absolutely no conclusion but to be reminded of their history and their heritage, that these are my chosen people and they're scared but in a moment oh in a moment this is going to feel all too familiar and no amount of denial or anger or bargaining or depression will change the fact that something good has already happened
And there's a difference between the way it was then and the way it is now. Because the reality, Israelites, my people, this time, you're mine. And in a moment, you're going to see it. In this week's bulletin, I wrote the pastoral reflection. And in there, I made a confession that I cannot see into the future. And I can't read minds. And unfortunately... I meant it. I really can't. I can't do either one of those things. I lamented that I thought it would be cool to be able to do it. It would make things a lot easier, but unfortunately I can't. And so in this movement from humanity then to humanity now, from God then into God now, I need to admit something to you. That I don't know what's going to happen next. I can't read God's mind. So I don't know that I can tell you exactly what will happen. But I'm going to do my best to understand the way God is working now because I know what God was working on back then. And the reality is, there is something I do know. And the thing that I know is that the God who brought us, the Israelites, out of Egypt and took us on through to Canaan, that God still working today. And I can tell you this, I can tell you that those people, that memory we have of our ancestors way back when, those people who were scared out of their minds that a viral enemy was going to kill them, a people who's brought generation after generation after generation after them to bring us here today, those people, they're still afraid today. And it seems as though right now in today, We're outnumbered, we're stuck, and we're trapped, we're out of options, and there seems to be only one way, and it's just to get pinched in and decimated, and we're facing the impossible, which is a good reason to be afraid if you just leave things to that, but the reality is God then and God now gave us something that we have and we can take into our hands and do something about. And that's a choice. God gave the Israelites a choice, gave them the opportunity. They could have gone left, right, straight, back, up, or down. They didn't have to pick one way or another, but God made the choice very simple. Put your trust in me. I will take you out of this. It doesn't seem like there's any way out. You haven't seen anything yet. Because unfortunately, the people of the Exodus couldn't remember their ancestry back to Adam, back to Eve, back to an understanding of Eden, where God did all of these things before. He didn't do anything new. He just used the same things he had to use for us, for our good, again. And if he did it in Genesis, he did it in Exodus, and he continued to do it throughout Scripture to today, if he hasn't stopped... What are we afraid of? Choice is simple. Don't go back. We don't need to be slaves again. And for a while, it felt like we kind of were. We were trapped inside and didn't have a choice. And that's not to say that 
modern day slavery and, and the quarantine are the same thing. I hope you don't get me wrong in that, but there's a parallel, at least a parallel enough to make the observation. If you felt like a slave before, make the choice not to do it again. Because unfortunately, it looks like we're heading in that direction. And that's scary. And that causes a lot of grief. And we're going to go through the stages all again. But this time, with the choice, choose to do something different. If we get the opportunity, and it looks like we might, let's choose this time to smother it. Let's cast it out into the deep. Let's seal the exit on the other side when we've made it safely through. I think we should with our heads held high, our masks on, show people that we're still full of hope. Something that unfortunately is being hoarded and stashed away. This time, let's herald the good news. Let's tell stories of, instead of getting stuck in the mud, let's tell stories about how God is working in us and through us and around us. Let's show people the kingdom. Let's let them into the secret that we all know, that God came, saw, went, and is still here somehow, some way. And the good news is he's coming again. Because something good is coming. And it's going to need to come up out of the mud that we seem to be stuck in, that we seem to be dropped down by. Let's lift up the name of Christ this time. Let's not spend any time dragging down names of other people. Let's do it in a way that shows people what the kingdom really is about. Because this time, it is different. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. Because we know something about ourselves we didn't know before. We know we're resilient. And we're reminded that we're children of God. And that's something that when we have in our hands, we have in our hearts, and that we speak out of our mouths and hold in our minds. I mean, I would chase after it to crush it if it was something I wasn't wanting to get out but God gives us each and every one of us the opportunity to talk about it. So let's do it. And if unfortunately means in the meantime for all the things that we are excited about, we're going to have to wait. Just wait. And if we do, something good will happen. Because God saw us through before, and he will do it again. That much I'm certain of. And I can see it. The question is, can you? Maybe you can't. And for that, Scripture tells us straight up and down that God speaks to the people in those moments of fear. Not everybody was Moses in that story. More people were less like Moses than Moses was for the rest of them. The good news is, even if you don't believe it, even if you can't see it, the story isn't about us. Stories about God and what God is doing through us and for us and in us and with us. If that much is true and you can't see God clearly from where you are in this story, trust that God can clearly see you. And in his sights, you will be okay. No matter what, no matter what you're facing and how much pressure you're under. So Moses leaves us with this. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. He will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. And this enemy that you see today, you somehow will not see tomorrow. And to access it, you only have to wait.